The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Patria Vandermark. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Well, Patria, this is our first episode together. How you feeling? I'm really excited to be here, Patrick. I'm so glad we're online and, and doing it. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, I really am. Uh, I love doing this show, and I didn't want to stop. And I'm super excited about what Celine is doing. And I know that in the larger, grander scheme, uh, her doing a podcast devoted to menopause issues for active women. I mean, as she noted, the 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 entire landscape has been empty, devoid of anything for that. And knowing as many women as I do uh, who are facing that, uh, I just. I think it's really terrific that she's doing that. So I agree. I saw her promo on it and I'm definitely looking forward to listening to it. I'm going to check it out too. I mean, I, I won't have any personal familiarity with any of the issues, but you know, I'd like to be conversant. I'd like to be empathetic and compassionate. So it wouldn't hurt me to educate myself a little bit. Yeah. That's very open-minded of you, Patrick. I like to learn. Uh, and there's lots of room for it in my case. Oh, uh, as we say, the show goes on. Um, so before we get into the meat of the show, I do want to take a moment to talk about a little something. I want to acknowledge two passings in the last week. So my former boss from when I was at Bicycle Guide, uh, the editor there, Garrett Lye, died last week. He was only 54. It's been a pretty awful shock to me and his friends and family. Garrett was truly one of a kind. I've never in my life worked with anyone with such high standards. Uh, He was brilliant, taught me what a real work ethic was, and also taught me a whole lot about leadership, although I don't think he ever intended to. I don't think he knew that that's what he was doing. But he gave me an example by which I do live today. Uh, It's certainly at work with the Cycling Independent. Uh, I've had to step up in leadership there in a way I've never really had to before. Um, So his example is certainly living on in TCI. Uh, I'm really um, sorry to hear that. Thanks. You know, to try to frame him, how important he was to me. I'll say that the easiest way to put it into context is to say that he changed the course of my life. Okay. Saying a lot. Had he not, yeah. Had he not offered me the job at Bicycle Guide, I would probably be working in a bike shop today. I might still be Which in Which would Western not be the worst thing in the world. Nope. Nope. <laughs> uh, but it would have been, it would have been not fully pursuing a dream of mine. Um, you know, 
Uh, so it's what he did really was huge for me. Um, the other passing of note is that bike magazine, indeed all of the magazines that used to be surfer pubs, uh, are now gone. So that means surfer magazine is gone as is powder and snowboarder and surfer produced skateboarder back in the 1970s and early eighties, which I just adored. Uh, Bike is dead for two reasons. First, advertising is drying up faster than a rain puddle in the Mojave. That's no one's fault. It's simply a fact that advertisers have many ways to reach their target audience, and they're spreading those dollars around. Second, they were sold by their previous owner, the well-named The Enthusiast Network, to a ginormous media company, American Media which is the former owner of the National Enquirer, which may tell you something about their values. Uh, and they care less about enthusiast publications than I do about what happened last week on The Bachelor. Uh, uh, magazines <laughs> Try not to laugh cows. too much here. <laughs> no, I think that's the appropriate response. I'm good with that. Uh, you know, just magazines aren't the cash cows uh, that they used to be. And they tend not to last in that sort of environment. Uh, I'm truly hoping that all my friends at bike land somewhere quickly. They're really good people. Uh, I may be reaching out to one or two of them to write for the cycling independent rather soon. Ooh, that would be great. If we can get them. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, at a certain level, a lot of it is I just don't want their voices to go away. Right. Yep. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. Okay. Enough. Okay. So for my poll this week, I want to talk about seasons or more specifically months. October is the month that caused me to fall in love with Sonoma County. This place doesn't get better than October. But I have to grant with the first, this place also doesn't get worse. Uh, it doesn't get worse than, than October now because of the fires. Uh, oh. That's sort of beside the point. <laughs> <laughs> right. In a normal year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I only, I only evacuated for three days. Uh, <laughs> moving right along. But seriously, October is when the leaves turn. You can smell the must when riding by wineries. Uh, when the mornings are cool, but the days warm up to burn off the fog to just glorious blue skies. When I was in Western Massachusetts, September, to my opinion, was the month there. Uh, I'll be interested yeah. to hear your opinion on that. Uh, not quite. I definitely peak agree. Age, uh, not that cold. And the days were still reasonably long, you know, just a yeah, pretty magical right. time there. Yeah. <laughs> Growing up in Memphis, though, I can say May was the month there. We were through the worst of the spring rains, but the summer, had, the summer heat hadn't crushed us yet. Flowers were still blooming, and the trails had finally started to dry out. Uh, in Southern California, I'd say April was the month. Uh, again, wildflowers blooming. You know, you had California poppies going off everywhere. Oh, my gosh, it's beautiful. Uh, the mornings were still relatively cool. I could ride all day. Okay, maybe not all day, but 
April was a month where I would do a lot of events that lasted six or seven hours, you know, going out and doing oh. long centuries and grand fondos. That's early in the yeah. season. Uh, well, you got to understand that the race season in Southern California starts in January. That's a good point. It's very offset yeah, from so, what I'm used to. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it is a very different place. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, funnily enough, I'm not sure what to say about the Sierra someplace else. I really love going and riding. Mm-hmm. Uh, August can be incredible there, but then so can September and October. Uh, so I, I should probably spend some time before I make my next trip up there. I should spend some time talking to somebody about like, when is this place really at its best? You know, because uh, that's kind of what it's yeah. on my mind, except wait, let's just not talk about Hawaii because literally every <laughs> single month there is amazing. That place is not fair. <laughs> I haven't been to Hawaii yet, so I'm going to pretend that that place doesn't exist in the world. Well, at some point, you probably ought to do some sort of trip there. I wouldn't really recommend spending any time in Honolulu, but, you know, mm-hmm. conceptually, Hawaii, pretty special. Well worth the trip. Uh, the reason this came to mind is I'm fantasizing about traveling. I haven't been able to do any traveling lately, right? There you so go. traditionally, right. I've had to go on trips where I can get the time, you know, just just find the time to go somewhere as opposed to think about, well, when would be the perfect time to go there? Well, I'm finding myself in a position where I have a bit more flexibility now. And so I've been thinking about going someplace at its peak perfection. So. Mm. You've been some places, you've spent time in places that I haven't, you know, you've lived all over. What, what would you add to that list, Patria? And for that matter, let's make sure we keep, uh, we include Italy on this list. I've been there a few times, but I have no idea when Italy is at its best. So, uh, lay it on me. Absolutely. Well, I'm a Colorado native, so that's where I know weather the best and the best riding times there. I would put it at September as well. And I feel like September Uh has been the best season everywhere I've I've ever lived. Uh, That definitely includes Italy. It it's really nice weather wise. You sort of know what to expect. And I think that's what makes a place more perfect if you can say, well, if I travel here in September, I'm probably not going to get rained on, which is the Mm -hmm. weather that to me ruins more rides than any other weather (laughs) there is out there. Um, And then New England, certainly you're absolutely. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say there are times when you want the adventure of rain and there are times when you don't. But (laughs) so I get you. Yes. And usually it's not on vacation with your bike. Um, <laughs> typically, uh, but it, it's also interesting because every, every area seems to be shifting somewhat with weather. Uh, New England has mm-hmm. been absolutely perfect this summer. Uh, we had a very, very rainy spring, which was much rainier than I ever have expe- uh, experienced it here. Um, but that was when everybody was shut down and shut in because of COVID anyway. So it worked out fine enough to have that then and now we're having a glorious fall and right now that's extending into october and we're just crossing our fingers it continues on 
um, so mm. and then in Italy, I was in Perugia, which is right in the center of the country. So it has very <laughs> different weather than northern and southern Italy. And I would say right now we're watching the Giro and seeing the weather there. So that's somewhat indicative of how nice the weather is there. But of course, right now they're in Sicily and southern part of the country, which is warmer. And then as you go up, it becomes more temperate in the Perugia area, right in the middle of the country. And then as you go north from there, it's much more four seasons where you have snow and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's it's beautiful. You can't go wrong. Pick any time if you have a chance to go. (laughs) And obviously right now we're all in dreamland because getting on an airplane feels a bit frightening with COVID and the risks associated with traveling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then there's the fact that like, we can't even get into Italy because we're America. Oh my gosh. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's understandable. I don't blame them. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious. So one of the things that I remember from my time in new England was that if you did any spring mountain biking, it was sloppy, wet, muddy, and it would be, you know, you'd be well into June before the, the trails would start drying out. Sometimes it would be like early July before things were really not just sloppy, muddy anymore. What was this year like that way? Yeah, I would, I would say that's definitely true because it was so rainy this spring. Um, and then, yeah, it's it. That's the problem when when the ice thaws and then it just takes a while for the trails to dry up. So around here, most people aren't mount bikers in the spring because of mm-hmm. concern for trail health. Uh-huh. And and everyone is become much, much more conscious of keeping trails uh, as as nice as they can. And obviously, if you ride trails when they're wet, you're going to ruin them. So that's that at least the awareness of taking care of trails has gone up and mountain biking in the spring has definitely gone down. So right now I feel like mountain biking season is really going up. It's it's been happening a bunch during the summer. But again, this is covid year where there are a lot more hikers on the trails. So Mm -hmm. that means your riding time is curtailed to to early morning, late in the evenings when people aren't walking those trails. Yeah, yeah, I I hear you. so there's been an evolution in terms of uh, people really taking more care of the trails, because when I was in New England, that was people just rode. Oh, yeah, that's definitely changed significantly. I've been here for 10 years now. So the view of the New England area in my eyes is is 10 years old at this point. But there <laughs> are like Nemba is very, very active in getting the word out there and keeping members aware of of trail conditions and and people now are also policing themselves and their friends like if i see a note going up where someone's looking for a friend to ride with and it's obviously a wet morning i'll email that person and say hey just so you know it's really wet out there don't ride the trails and it feels like other people are definitely doing that as well that they're saying hey no now's not a good time to be out there and and at least when it's winter Early morning, late in the evening, it's it's frozen. So the trails are perfect to ride at that mm-hmm. point. And then and that's where it gets really questionable in the spring with that thaw. And it's just it may not freeze over. So it's a little bit harder on the trails. Right, right, right. I yeah, I hear you. Now, something I've heard from friends of mine who do a lot of fat biking in the winter 
uh, there people are finding that, you know, that snow gets compacted, you get into the spring, it turns into this big block of ice in the shape of single track. And (laughs) it takes that much longer for the trails to end up thawing out, um, and getting past that muddy point. What's your experience with that? Oh, that's a good question. I've never thought about it in the way that you just described. I, I suppose I've seen it more as you've got that much more riding time on the trails because mm-hmm. of that time that the trails are obviously frozen. Like as long as your tires not touching dirt, you know, you're OK, that you're not digging in and, and creating a track. And then as long as fat bikes are on the trails, that fat bike track is not bad. Like that's still fun to ride. And then mm-hmm. most of the people that I know who are riding winter riding are, are mountain bikes and, and fat bikes. So a wider tire with studs. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's easy to dig in and no matter what kind of ruts there are, you can pretty much ride over all of that stuff. But I'll be thinking about that more this coming spring as the trails are thawing and we see what happens. But yeah, there's definitely some time in there where you just really don't know what to expect and you have to be mm-hmm. ready to turn around and, and leave and, and, and go ride on the road for for a chunk of time in the springtime yeah yeah interesting uh yeah living in sonoma county i don't have much reason to have a fat bike uh (laughs) do you have a a fat bike population there patrick not around here no no uh i know people up in the sierra who do but around here no there's just no need uh it's i mean yeah, there's we don't get any snow, so there's just no call for it. So the the biggest tires you see anybody running are occasionally, you know, three inch wide, you know, on the twenty seven point five. But by and large, people here are riding twenty niners, and you know, if it gets wet, yeah, people are encouraged to stay off the trails. Um, so for us, that's kind of January, February, March. Those are the really problematic months. Um, and we're going into a La Nina year. So holy cow, uh, we may not get much rain at all. So Um, that means you're going to be dry this year. Yeah. It means we'll get to ride through more of the winter, but it means that next, next summer, next fall, the fire season will start even earlier and could run even later. Uh, yeah. So, uh, things will be things will end up being drier if, if the forecasts hold. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, it's like, I've got, uh, I've, I've got a week in the bank is what it is. <laughs> My, right. Uh, right. Back to, you need to have some time away. Yeah. Uh, uh, for her 50th birthday, my ex, uh, went on a trip, uh, with her beau and they had a great time and I had the, the boys for a week and so there's going to be some payback. Uh, so I get to have a week away at some point. Uh, it gets to be when I choose. Of course, it's got to be someplace that I'm willing to travel to. Uh, the thing that I keep coming back to over and over is I'm, I'm just thinking about, like, could I in the next couple of weeks make a getaway up to Mendocino County and ride all those trails in Jackson Demonstration Forest? Uh, Mendo is pretty nice this time of year. Um, it, you know, it's only marginally further North than, uh, than where I am in Sonoma County. Um, Mm -hmm. 
the drive itself takes a couple hours, but it's not really that far away. Uh, there's just no straight routes to get there, but, uh, I've got a new review bike on the way. And so, yeah, I'm just thinking about like, where should I go when, yeah, when conditions are, are really optimal for a place. Uh, it's been a different way to think about things. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, we will, we will see. So what are the trails like there and what are your favorite trails? Uh, Mendocino County. Yes. Uh, you know, they're, they're a lot like, uh, a lot of the trails here in Sonoma County, uh, that are more coastal. So, uh, it's, it's loamy, a lot of pine duff. Uh, it's good single track. You'll, you'll cross some fire roads here and there. You may have to use fire road to link up some stuff, but you get into deep redwood forest in a hurry. And it's, you know, it's like something out of the Ewoks in Star Wars. Uh, that was actually shot in Marin County, you know, so yeah, fairly similar terrain. Okay. But I love the fact that, you know, you can go from bright sunlight to if somebody's wearing dark glasses, they'll actually pull the glasses off. Uh, that's why I wear photochromic lenses, because mm-hmm. the conditions can change that much. Um, the There are an awful lot of trails that have been built by mountain bikers, but these aren't machine cut single track trails. Uh, so it's not like Bentonville or some of the other places where you've had these professional crews building these amazing trails. These are volunteers who are sticking to the, the natural contours of the train a little more. So in that regard, uh, I would compare it to some degree to riding in new England. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they are making an effort to build the trails so that they're sustainable, you know, water bars and things like that. So that they don't get rutted every now and then you do find some older trail that is kind of rutted. The other thing that is really interesting is you can get some, some climbs, uh, in Mendocino County that even humble some of the climbs here in Sonoma County stuff. That's like 28, 30% sustained. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, (laughs) it's funny. Uh, it's really kind of ridiculous. Like, you know, they, they make things called switchbacks. Uh, yeah, I don't know, but I, it's, it's really, really fun riding. And, uh, I know a fraction I've done, I've done three events up there and have had three, three different race, three different days of racing, four, four days of racing up there. And then one day of just riding for the, for the hell of it, just having fun. And so despite that, which you would think is a pretty good introduction, I don't know how to put together 90% of what I've ridden up there. <laughs> They're all just these disparate nice. elements. And Jackson yeah. Demo Forest is huge, just enormous. Uh, so you could, you could probably compare it to like the size of the Quabbin Res- Reservoir. It's, there's a lot of territory. That sounds uh, big enough to go take a long vacation riding there. Like you're not yeah. going to repeat yourself much. Yeah. And people are like, no, you better have a GPS. You know, the, the maps, they, there are mm-hmm. maps, but yeah. Uh, I know when trail forks was having that special just recently in September yeah. of, you know, getting the big discount on 
on the full pro version of Trail Forks. I know a whole lot of friends who signed up just so they could have uh, a complete set of maps for Jackson uh, that they would have, you know, at a moment's notice as, as they're up there. Because uh, you actually download those full maps. Um, so, yeah, I made sure to be one of those people who, who did sign on for the Trail Forks Pro. <laughs> Excellent. So you're yeah. ready to go. I am kind of. I am kind of. I I'm, I think more than anything else, you know, it's like that seems the the easy, safe answer for getting away. Right. Um, and the friends I have around here who know uh, that part of Mendocino County, they rave about it. And, you know, my limited experience reflects that. So, uh, yeah, that might be happening so pretty soon. Is that going to be a solo adventure or is that something you would want to incorporate friends with you? If I could have some friends along, that would be awesome. Yeah. I, you know, uh, it's always nice to have company. So there's that. Um, Mm -hmm. and then there's the, the fact that it probably would be a good idea for me to be out there with other people who know what the hell's going on. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. It's, It's big enough that you could get lost in there for quite a while. Uh, and I, I don't really want to do a forced bivy overnight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although just, you might be have, uh, able to learn something, turn it into a bike packing trip, for instance. Yeah. Yeah, I could. Uh, I guess it's not what I'm really looking for right now. Uh, but it, I mean, if I had friends call me tomorrow and say, let's do a bike packing trip in Jackson. Uh huh. Sure. You would yeah. be there. I would. but if i'm planning my own trip i'm thinking about like a bed (laughs) you know a room with a bed that's Mm -hmm. that's i think more what i'd like to do right now right make it a vacation yeah yeah that sounds good all right i'll bring it back in just a second and we will uh get into your poll okay Okay, we're back with the pace line, the podcast on two wheels. Patria, what's your pull for us? Uh, I'm not sure, Patrick. I think I'd like to just stick on the whole idea of vacation and going away and riding our bikes all over the country for you know the next 30 <laughs> minutes. But um, since you ask and I put together the pull for me, because I'm coming from bike shops, I manage and co-own two bike shops in the Boston area. And this is a very bike centric place to live as a cyclist and Mm -hmm. a bike shop. So I'm hoping to bring you closer to what's going on at your bike shop and, and, and offer some perspective, since I would imagine most people who are listening to this have a relationship with a bike shop or maybe more than one shop. So, um, yeah, so COVID has really changed our lives in so many ways. Uh, and there's there's the obvious. It's bad. COVID has been terrible. It's been awful in a lot of different ways. Um, so there, there's that. that. That's the given to this entire conversation. So it, with bike retail, however, it's been an interesting, interesting landscape. At first, there was a shutdown. And I'm, of course, coming just talking about what happened in Boston when the shutdown happened everybody had to stop working. It was a 
about, I would say, two and a half to three days before bike shops were declared essential services here Mm -hmm. and everything else literally got shut down. And I would say Boston and people of Boston were terrific. People were told to stay in their house and really not go out. And that's what people did. So they they went inside and and just hunkered down. Um, So it took a little while for for retail to start doing anything, even essential services. So at first, of course, every bike shop was really badly hit as a result of no one is going out. No one's feeling comfortable going out. No one knew what to expect. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, well, everything was shut down except going outside. And now everyone went to their sheds. They pulled out their bikes. Of course, anyone who was already a cyclist going into COVID became even more of a cyclist. <laughs> we took <laughs> took advantage of the opportunities to go into Boston during the day. I, I took this amazing bike ride. It was Friday afternoon. I left Lexington at, I think it was like five o'clock and rode into Boston. And if you know Boston at all, you know, Sturro Drive is a really busy road. 6 p.m. on a Friday, you're not crossing the street. I saw Sturro in both directions, no cars. It was. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Can you believe that? It was beautiful. So so I rode all over Boston on my road bike, just just looking at Boston from a perspective, I figured I will never, ever have a chance to see again. And I hope to never see that again, frankly, because it's a bit post-apocalyptic to see a Mm -hmm. city that should be very vibrant, full of people, absolutely dead. So there was the opportunity to ride on roads without cars on them and, and really just take some time. And we, I saw a lot of people who said, Hey, I could shut myself in my house, eat a lot of food and get depressed, or I'm going to take my bike out. So here they are taking their bike out on the, on the road, on the trails and, and really getting back into cycling. And of course, a lot of these bikes that came out of people's sheds were 20 years old and needed service. So this goes from bike shops having no business for a short period of time to having entirely too much business over (laughs) almost overnight. And then, of course, the joke was bikes are now the new toilet paper and you can you very quickly bike shops sold out of all of their bikes. And and I think common news stories have been about how bikes at a thousand dollars or less sold just they were gone really mm-hmm. quickly. So so this was that obviously is a great thing when shops sell their inventory. And then that that leaves and then obviously a lot of new people on the road, except that bike shops didn't gain employees during the pandemic. Many bike shops lost employees because mm-hmm. people have personal situations that were tied to covid Uh, Some people uh, have either someone at high risk at home who were nervous about going to work. Uh, It depends on how the bike shop managed their employees and all that sort of thing. But there were just a variety of situations that this caused in people's personal lives that made things challenging. You've got uh, people who have to now take care of their children at home. So, Mm -hmm. of course, for someone to go to work is difficult. So 
and this happened in a lot of different industries. I think everything that I'm saying is not necessarily just found in the bike industry. This is a, a bigger thing that you're seeing um, across many different industries. So, so bike shops weren't able to staff up. They had the, the number of people they had before the pandemic started and many with fewer employees. I mean, the shops that I'm in, we had fewer employees at the end of the shutdown than we had before. And then you have piles and piles of service bikes to deal with. So the shops will bring in <laughs> these bikes and, and, and then not be able to turn them around quickly. So I think there was a, a lot of, of uh, pressure being placed on, on these shops to, to turn around bikes really, really quickly. And now you've got, okay, again, we go back to the lots and lots of people brought, brought their 20 year old bikes out of the shed. They all need tubes. So guess what? The right. tubes sell out. Now you have a shortage, a massive shortage of tubes, which we have right now. If, if Patrick, you say, Hey, I could use a couple extra tubes for my bike. I'm going to quiz you for a while as to why you need those tubes, because I'm really worried that the last tubes we have are going to be the last tubes I see for another month or so. No. Yes. So of You're course, quiz the first me about tubes how sell. badly I need tubes. <laughs> Do you need tubes? <laughs> so this is a great Holy opportunity cow. to go tubeless. Except that it, now I'll tell you, this is a great opportunity to go tubeless, but tubeless tires are out of stock. And now a lot of the so it started with the low end. The 26 inch tubes went first. Those have been out of stock uh -huh. now for months. The higher end tubes that the typical road bikes take. Those went out of stock later because those were the last mm -hmm. things to need to stock out um, is generally the one of the more current bikes. Not every single rider ran out and needed new tubes. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. It's the people who are taking out the older bikes that need all new parts now and that those parts were hard to get before. Now, now they're really, really hard to get. Oh my gosh. So supply chain issues are a big part of what your bike shop is experiencing right now. Depend no matter what, if you're talking about low end bikes, bike shops, or high end, or somewhere in the middle, mm -hmm. everyone is experiencing major stockouts. So that's wow. that's something to consider when you're asking your bike shop for something. It could take a while for your shop to get that thing, and it also may take quite a few. Uh, calls to a supplier to find out when you can get that thing. So it's not trivial to bring that item into the shop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where do things stand with patch kits? I mean, has, has there ended up being a, a shortage of patch kits as well? That's a great question. Luckily we went into the pandemic with a wealth of patch kits. <laughs> so I haven't looked to see if if those are out of stock, I would imagine they did stock out because, yeah, if you need if you've got a hole in your tube, you'd better be able to fix it or or you're simply not riding. And that's what's tough. That keeps you from riding your bike. That keeps you from being able yeah. to have this cycling experience that we're hoping so many more people have now because this is bringing more people to the sport. It's rejuvenating shops 
And obviously news going in pre-COVID is that bike shops have not been doing well, have been experiencing fewer and fewer sales year by year, more businesses going online. So this COVID has offered a new breath to shops and also to Mm -hmm. show people Mm -hmm. that shops are important. So before we before we jumped on the call today, I went to Amazon.com, which I'm only naming them because so many people choose to go there to purchase things. Um, And I looked up 105 cassettes. If you want a 105 cassette of a very average range, if you were to order Mm -hmm. it today, you will maybe see it in late October. And that's on Amazon. Uh, Most people think, oh, you can just jump on the Internet and grab whatever it is you need. Mm -hmm. But the Internet has slowed down a lot. And that's that's certainly helped bring people to bike shops. Another something that's been beneficial in a way, and I, I think this is hard for people to see until they've actually had this experience, is that it's very difficult to order correctly online. Even people who are bike people who think they understand the spec of the thing that they need to buy. Mm-hmm. It's it's tricky to get the right thing. So in the last two weeks, I can tell three stories about how one person uh, thought that he, like, he was really interested in getting a particular set of brake calipers and chose to order those directly himself. And instead of getting the flat mount calipers that his brake that his bike needs, oh. he ended up with post mount. So that's mm. difficult because in the time that it took him to buy those post mount calipers, the flat mount one sold out. So now he can't get the flat mount calipers that would be right for his bike. Oh, so that's that's one. It's, it's you know, it's 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 too bad. But bike parts mm-hmm. are complicated. And I think that's something that people need to understand is that bike shops fill a valuable role of knowledge, of actually understanding the spec, the compatibilities, Mm -hmm. that they are not trivial at all. And what we do on a daily basis is make parts and bikes work together. You cannot just jump out to the Internet and one, get advice, because often things that are shown out there in the world is either not good advice it's not compatible it's got the wrong spec it's really easy to get something that's made for a 10 speed bike uh that you're really looking for 11 (laughs) speed for example there's so much of that and and we see this firsthand Uh, so unfortunately a lot of people need to make that mistake first before understanding that if you go through your bike shop you're either one you're going to get the right thing or the bike shop is going to make it right and you will still get the right thing because obviously mistakes can be made at any level by anybody, but shops are less likely to make that mistake. So for that's, people that's, who are yeah. looking, I'm, I'm curious for people who are, uh, you know, looking to maybe upgrade things on their bike, where are the opportunities for wins? So to speak, like if somebody comes into your shop, what can they actually ask for service on or ask you to order that you know you can fulfill in a relatively short period of time? Oh, that's a really good question. We've found that 
SRAM's supply chain has been pretty solid. And the dates they've been offering us when something is out of stock, that the date they say this is when this thing will be back in stock is true. So we can mm. plan builds based on that. And it's also mm-hmm. their, their parts are easy to upgrade to because especially when you're talking about ETAP wireless, it doesn't matter about cable stops on your bike. Uh, there's a lot more compatibility usually with <laughs> with those parts. Although, I mean, now that I'm saying that the free hub body is probably not what your wheel takes. <laughs> so now you have to change your free hub body to be compatible. But that for many hubs is not is is not too difficult in order to find. But yeah, that that's been something that we've done a lot of ETAP upgrades on bikes during this time because mm-hmm. that has been accessible. Uh, I, I hate to say it, uh, boy, there's tires are hard to get now. Uh, chains are challenging to get. So there are a lot of basic things, brake pads. And then that's that's a tricky one too. brake pads. When you don't have brake pads that are available for your brakes and you can't stop your bike, are you going to be able to go on the ride? So take are we talking exceptionally good care of your bike pads. I'm talking about disc brake pads for okay. Which like tend to wear out m- more quickly. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so, the last time I replaced a caliper brake set of caliper brake pads, I don't know. It's been years. Those things don't ever wear out, but yeah, disc brake pads, you know, two, three times a year. Oh, well, and it also depends. I'm sure the way you're riding your bike, you're going to be running through disc brake pads all the time because you ride a disc brake bike in cruddy weather and and you're doing There's a lot of, of really that. tough yeah. descents and you need to use mm-hmm. your brakes a lot more than say on a road bike in pristine conditions and you're not doing those terribly brake intensive things with your with your road bike right right yeah think we've maybe got a lot of steep terrain say. here so yeah mm-hmm. that makes a difference yeah uh, cheers to flat places. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Here we've got rollers. We don't have anything particularly steep, but you also don't have much flat. Like you're, you're right. always going up or down. You're just not going particularly steep up or particularly steep down. Typically. Right. That's right. More of the turn here. Yeah. What are you hearing from your suppliers about? I mean, why are we still in a shortage? We've had what, seven months now of this? How is it in seven months the suppliers haven't started to catch up? I mean, sure, they're shipping things out, but you would think that they would have ramped up production at some level so that they could supply more. What's My going on there? My understanding on that, which I don't have perfect insight into this world of supply, like the, of manufacturing, most everything's coming from overseas. So things need to somehow get here. Obviously, flights coming into the U.S. are many fewer, and that's hard to get parts that way. We've certainly we've had to wait, I think, seven months for again, we're talking about brakes a lot, but brake calibers that were coming from Japan took many more months than we ever expected because of a flight that couldn't make it. Uh, but also cargo, just the cargo containers, which is how your Shimano's and SRAMs are going to get their parts Mm -hmm. to us. Uh, Some of my understanding is that the, the 
people involved with manufacturing have been rededicated to the lower end bike market because those parts have been so much more in demand that uh-huh. some resources have been shifted away from, say, high end parts, which haven't stocked out as quickly. We haven't seen as many problems on that side. But now that side is definitely being impacted. So it's what are you doing with your resources with the demand being at the lower end? That's where a lot of the resources are being placed. But also, I mean, those factories were out of production for 60 days, at least because of COVID. Wow. So that has a ripple effect way down the line. So, yes, this many (laughs) this many months later. And it's worth mentioning that we did not see supply chain issues early on in COVID. Supply chain was solid. It was great until it wasn't. And then when it wasn't, we're all scrambling, trying to figure out, wait a minute, because we make plans and we promise new bikes. And typically Mm -hmm. our our lead time on new bikes is about four to six weeks for either a a stock um, honey bike or a custom seven. So our, our lead times are very short. And this is what we're used to. This is how we've been doing business for 10 years. And all of a sudden that came to a halt and we're like, okay, now what do you do? What, how do you manage Mm. when everything's out of stock? It's not just, so wheels is a good example. Wheels are definitely taking longer to arrive. It's been great because we have demo wheels. So we just put demo wheels on the new bikes and send people home, you know, enjoy, enjoy your new bike. And then when the wheels show up from industry nine, we swap those on the bike and, and the, person is is happy and didn't feel that weight as much but that's something you can't do with say nice. a brake lever you can't do that with certain parts because what are you going to put on that bike in the meantime you don't have demo brake levers yeah. laying around so that that adds just insane complication wow. yeah all righty well uh i'll be interested to check in with you again on this in a, in another month or two or three and see how things are progressing what do you say we move on to Paceline Picks? That sounds absolutely wonderful. Thanks. Okay. Well, you're going to go first on this one. What do you Ooh. have? Oh, well, my Paceline Picks today is boots. Winter boots. Yeah. And Say that again? I, I just said, yeah. So the, my pick is 45 North either Ragnarok or Wolfhammer boots. These are really important to be thinking about now as the seasons are changing. We are talking about seasons and where you want to ride in the world. If your feet are warm, you are going to be significantly happier and you're much more likely to go out in inclement weather if it's raining or if it's snowing or if it's just really, really cold. So I suggest no matter what what kind no matter what kind of a cyclist you are to really get a nice set of boots for for the coming season the, i mentioned both the ragnarok and the wolfhammer boots and i have two mm-hmm. i guess that's technically two products i don't know if i'm breaking the rules of the paceline podcast now patrick or not we'll, we'll let you slide And that's because everyone has a different temperature at which they get cold. The Ragnarok boots are great for probably somebody like you in a warmer part of the country where you're more worried about your feet getting wet or Mm -hmm. a chilly day 
And if mm-hmm. also if you're male versus whether you're female and how you feel the cold, men typically don't feel the cold as badly as women do. Um, and, and some people it, based on age and, and a variety of other factors or how many times you've gotten frostbite on your feet in your life that you didn't even realize Ooh, yeah. can make a big difference as to what you should have on your feet. So the Ragnaroks for people who don't feel the cold as much, it's a million times better than any overshoes you can put on your shoes because they have a nice thick sole. The number one thing to think about with boots is that they have a sole that protects the cold air from coming in and getting to your feet. Mm. And also you're not going to mess them up, but the overshoes will get destroyed over time and you're going to be buying a pair a season. And that adds up very, very quickly. So you might as well have just invested in a decent set of nice boots. What, What sort of cleat do they take? Oh, that's a good question. These are all the two bolt mountain bike cleats. So if you're, say, riding a road bike, you're going to want to get a mountain bike set of pedals. And I would suggest the Shimano SPD mountain pedals. Those have been tried and true. They're very almost everyone rides them. So if you Mm -hmm. were to say, forget your boots or forget your shoes on a ride, you could borrow a pair of shoes. And and you'll right. be right. And those cleats have been the same since, what, 1984 or something like that, since Shimano developed the pedals. <laughs> it was a little later than that, but yeah, a long time. <laughs> sometime, yeah, I think it's sometime in the 80s. So, um, yeah, yeah, so those are great. And then if your feet are colder, if they get cold quickly, if you're like me, if it's about 60, yeah, okay, maybe maybe 58 degrees or cooler, my feet are cold. So I jump straight to the warmest boots I possibly can wear. And I would definitely mm-hmm. suggest the wolf hammers. They might feel heavy if you're holding in your, holding them in your hands. But when you have them on your feet and you're pedaling a bike, they're going to disappear from underneath you. you. Your feet will be happy. You'll be able to continue on your ride. And that's, that's the key. You keep those, <laughs> keep those feet warm. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, there's little that can make me more miserable than, than cold, wet feet. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to have to take a look at those. We, uh, well, TCI has a contributor in the greater Boston area guy, you know, John Lewis. Yes. That's right. uh, We can get you some boots. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe, maybe we get him to review some. Hmm. That Uh, sounds like a great idea. Okay, so on to my poll. Speaking yes. of breaking rules about the show, uh, I mean, normally this segment is about cycling products, but I'm going to deviate from the formula a little bit. Uh, my recommendation this week is a skateboard video, uh, and this just goes to my passion for this thing. I, in the last two weeks, I've probably watched it mm, two or three dozen times. Wow. So, yeah, Thrasher Magazine uh, produced this video uh, called Madness, and one of the skaters featured in it is this guy, Clay Kreiner, and his section of the overall video is pulled out and up on YouTube. It's three and a half minutes, okay? And it is my favorite single skater video of all time. So for everybody listening who was not an avid skateboarder, 
back in their younger days, or maybe even still, as some of us sometimes pretend at. Uh, I hope you'll enjoy indulge me for just a minute. Kreiner, this guy's a beast. He's a young guy, part of the latest generation of skaters. And to my eye, he incorporates the best of what makes Tony Hawk the greatest skater of all time in that he can do any trick that anybody has ever invented. And then also what made Christian Hosoy, as Stacy Peralta put it, the most beautiful skater of all time. I truly, I've never thought that, that Tony Hawk was a particularly stylish skater. He could always do the tricks, but it wasn't necessarily something that, you know, other than the trick itself would wow you. When Clay Kreiner does something, there is a beauty to it. There's, I mean, kind of like a raptor descending on prey. Uh, (laughs) There's just something to his style that gives me chills. In him, I see a hunger, a desire not to just do a cool trick, but a, a desire to push beyond, to make a statement. He's so far beyond confident, it's otherworldly. It kind of reminds me of how when I drop into uh, some descents, there's this appetite. In him, I see this body language that on the, uh, you know, when he's on the board at times, yeah, kind of predatory. Uh, Now, any parallels I see between him and me, I'm not a badass like his. I'm not trying to assert anything like that. But I mean... This guy does air like no one I have ever seen in my life. He will launch off one wall and come down on a different wall. It's normally people think of aerials. You go up on a wall, you do a little trick, you come back down that wall. He's landing on different walls that are, you know, often, you know, around a curve, sometimes the opposite side of the pool. People just, you know, unless you're used to watching skate videos, you've never seen anything like this. Uh, you'd think he was filled with helium. His gap work is utterly mind blowing. And then what he does during his airs will boggle the mind. He will do kick flips during aerials while he's 90 degrees to to gravity. I've just never seen anything like it in my life. It's less than four minutes of your life. And I promise every single second is worth your while for all that the world is not right now. It's just so good to see someone chase excellence for no other reason than the feeling that flow gives them. Wow. That sounds like it will be something to see and give us all Uh, a little bit more insight into the skateboarding world. Yeah. There'll be a link up in our show notes at uh, the cycling independent. I almost said red kite prayer. But yeah, there'll be a a link in our show notes uh, that'll take you to the video on YouTube. I swear this thing is just so remarkable. I, I keep going back to it. I've got a window open on my, uh, on my computer and just periodically I pull it up and watch it again. Um, Would you liken that to a Danny McCaskill for cyclists to compare the two? Yeah, that's yeah. Cause uh, yeah, among guys who can do tricks on bikes, McCaskill yeah. is next level. Yeah. This guy is next level. Hearing the cheers in the background of his friends watching him at a skate park, you know, that's when you know, oh, he just blew people away. People who know skateboarding yeah. are going, whoa. Yeah, it's like that. Yes. Great, great comparison. Yes. Uh, probably wouldn't have been helpful if I'd thought of that. But yes, thank you. Uh, 
definitely comparable. So, yeah. All right. Very oh, fun. We'll have to well, watch Katrina, that. This has been great. Yes. This yes. has really been fun, Patrick. I'm looking forward to doing so many more of these with you. And uh, I've, I've really appreciated the people who have reached out to me privately to tell me topics they're interested in and what they'd like to hear us talk about. So I think it's really neat to see how many people are into the idea of listening and really trying to gather information for themselves to help cycling improve in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I'm, I'm excited to see what sort of questions people submit to you. That will be a lot of fun to see. Um, well, before we close, I just want to say thank you to everyone listening who has already dropped by the cycling independent. Uh, we're off to a really nice start. We've got a lot of great contributors. Uh, I've, I'm working very long days right now. Uh, I don't mind. Uh, it's really good. And I, I'm pleased to say that we've got some other really exciting contributors on the way. Uh, we're in the bits in the midst of editing some stuff and waiting for a couple people to meet deadlines. Uh, so it's, it's really good. And again, to everyone who's been by, thank you. All righty. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. Uh, Hey, if you've got questions, uh, please drop by the cycling independent and put them in the comments. Or if you're familiar with Patria and ride studio or ride headquarters, uh, throw a question that way. And, uh, we will deal with it here on the show. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Patria Vandermark. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.